Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So before we get into today's episode, I just wanna mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're gonna find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our expat money forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora Mikkel or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is a Medicare expert and co-founder of Boomer Benefits, a licensed insurance agency that helps baby boomers navigate the entry into Medicare in 48 states. She and her team have helped more than 50,000 Medicare beneficiaries make their transition to Medicare at retirement. She is also the author of the best-selling book, 10 Costly Medicare Mistakes You Can't Afford to Make which helps beneficiaries avoid critical but all-too-common Medicare pitfalls. Please welcome to the show, Danielle Roberts. Danielle, how are you? I'm terrific. Thanks for having me today. My pleasure. So why don't you take a minute and kind of walk us a little bit through your backstory? Sure. So I've been in the insurance industry for going on 16 years, and I used to work in the group health market selling um, plans to small businesses. And as I was doing that, I would have people follow up with me and they would say, hey, do you know anything about Medicare? Because my mom's turning 65, my dad's turning 65, my aunt is 80 and has a problem. And these kind of questions would come up quite a bit. So we ultimately looked into Medicare to see what what was the story? Why is Medicare so difficult? And we found, of course, that it's incredibly complex and lots of moving parts, which causes much confusion because most people in America have health insurance provided through their employer all their working life. And then they're turning 65, they're dumped into a national health insurance program that they don't understand. And there's so many different choices for their coverage. So we started working with people in that market. And this was 
probably 2005-ish, and that was just a market that exploded onto the digital scene. People were starting to buy health insurance online, and slowly the boomers moved into doing that same thing. And quickly, because of the demand, it just overtook our business. And so now today, we 100% work with Medicare beneficiaries, helping educate them on Medicare, helping them with all the pitfalls of enrollment, things to avoid, mistakes that they make, and then selecting supplemental coverage. So it's a great business to be in, working with a great generation, and we really love doing it. Amazing. Well, I really wanted to have you on the podcast because although you are not an expat yourself, it is a question that we get so many times because we help so many people, not just from the, the people who are doing digital nomadism or remote work, but a ton of people who are retirees who kind of want to move south, come down to Mexico, come down to Panama, something like this. But there's a lot of questions about how it works with healthcare, insurance, Medicare, all these types of things. So I think this is a really important conversation and not one that we've really tackled on the show in something like 140 episodes or something. So I guess let's start with kind of breaking down the lexicon. I hear so many different words thrown around and, and I'm not even American myself. So you'll have to excuse my ignorance with a lot of these types of things. But let's start with that lexicon on um, the different programs that are out there and maybe like a quick synopsis of each one. Sure. So Medicare itself is provided by the federal government and you enroll in Medicare when you're turning 65 and you have a seven month window to do that. That starts three months before your 65th birthday goes through that birthday month and three months after, which is where we get a lot of the questions from expats about what should I enroll in? What will I need? What should I be sure to have if I have to come back to the United States? And Medicare was developed in the 1960s when the primary insurance in the United States was the Blue Cross Blue Shield type of insurance. So you have hospital coverage on the one side and you have outpatient coverage on the other side. And so Medicare has Part A, which is your hospital coverage, takes care of things like inpatient stays and hospice. Part B is your outpatient coverage. So doctor visits, lab works, and even some really expensive things like chemotherapy, diagnostic imaging. And so those two parts together uh, work to provide you the foundation of the same kind of coverage that you've come to expect in America working throughout your lifetime, whether that was having insurance through an employer or through the Affordable Care Act in more recent years if you're self-employed. And you can enroll in that coverage and stick with it, but it only covers about 80% of outpatient costs. So people come to insurance brokers like us to fill in the gaps, which is the other 20% and also deductibles, just like with other insurance that they've had in the past, people have a deductible for Medicare on the hospital side and on the outpatient side. And we help them decide if they want to stick with that original Medicare coverage, which is parts A and B and add a Medigap plan, or, they can choose something completely different, which is called Part C, Medicare Advantage, and that's coverage that you would choose that is provided to you in your local area. So it has an HMO or PPO network based on the county and area where you live, and you get your same benefits, but through a private insurance company using their network. And so all of these choices are things that confuse people who are new to Medicare because they are getting tons of mail, they get telemarketed, they have all these slick advertisements and they don't know which thing they should enroll in or which thing that they shouldn't. And so 
there's a lot of education that goes into that and helping familiarize themselves with their federal government benefits first, and then deciding kind of which routes to go. And so you can find a lot of education online that will walk you through what is original Medicare coverage? How does that work? How does that differ from Medicare Advantage coverage? And those are some of the big choices really they'll be facing in the beginning. Okay. And is there any other words that we should know before we continue with the conversation? Because I hear so many things, Medicare, MedAid, Obamacare, private insurance. Deductibles. Yeah. Like there's just (laughs) so many different terminology that I think that if people have not done a lot of research on the insurance industry, that possibly they wouldn't know. So before we get deeper into the conversation, is there anything that you think that we should kind of cover before going forward? Yeah. So a couple things are that a Medicare supplement and a Medigap plan are the same thing. Two different terms. You'll find them used. I use them interchangeably. Medicare does as well. That's uh, the same type of coverage. And also Part D, which is the latest, newest part of Medicare, which was written into being in 2006. And so for many years, people on Medicare had now no outpatient drug coverage, With Part D, they can now enroll in a drug plan that gives them uh, lower prices when they fill their medications through the pharmacy for outpatient purposes. So those are probably two other terms that we see people needing to know. So let's dig into the expat side a little bit. Let's take a typical husband and wife couple. They've decided that they want to move south in their retirement. They're keeping their U.S. citizenship, but they're going to move abroad. What does that look like? What are the responsibilities? What are the benefits? How does this all fit together? Yeah, it's an important decision because oftentimes people in this situation may not be sure if they're ever going to return to the United States. And that is typically the question that we see them tackling when it comes turning 65 time. What should I enroll in? What shouldn't I enroll in? what do I need to do to keep my costs for this coverage as low as possible, but know that I'll still be able to access it when I need to come back to the United States. And so what I tell people is it's very important in an expat situation that you go ahead and sign up for Medicare Part A when you turn 65. You can't get Social Security benefits separate from Part A. So if you don't sign up when you're 65, Let's say you sign up for Social Security when you're 70 and you can get your largest check at that point, your delayed earned credits, uh, earned income credits. And that has nothing to do with your Medicare eligibility age. But if you haven't signed up for it yet, Social Security and Medicare go hand in hand. So there's no reason for someone turning 65 to not sign up for a Part A insurance, the only reason we ever tell people not to is if they're still working and they're contributing into an HSA account. So in the expat situation, that's not usually the case. They're retiring and moving abroad. So no reason not to sign up for Part A because Part A doesn't cost you anything. All throughout your working life, you had taxes, FICA taxes coming out of your paychecks from your employers, and that has prepaid your Part A hospital insurance benefits. So in the event that you would need to come back to the U.S. and go in the hospital, you want to have that in place so that you have coverage for any hospital things. And this can include things like skilled nursing, uh, home health care, hospice benefits. So really important and really no downside not to enrolling in Part A. The bigger question that we see expats tackle with is whether or not to sign up for Part B, because Part B has a monthly premium when you enroll. And so when you sign up for it, 
that Part B monthly premium is going to be based on the year that you're in. So in 2021, the standard base premium for Part B is $148.50 a month, and 95% of beneficiaries pay that amount. However, if you have income that is higher than 88,000 as an individual or 176,000 as a married couple, you could pay more for Part B. Usually with expats, we don't see people going into those higher income realms, but something to know is that they're gonna look back at your tax returns from two years ago to determine what that is. So maybe when you were 63, you were working and you had income higher than that amount, but now you're retired. Fortunately, Social Security has a form that you can submit, a reconsideration request to show them, hey, that's when I was working, I've stopped working now, I'm retired, and I'm living off my, my income, so now my annual income is this. And usually in that situation, they're successful in appealing that and getting that lowered. But even still, $148.50 a month is something to consider if you're not living in the U.S. to use that benefit. So when you enroll in Part A and B, it's not going to help you outside of the United States. There are very limited situations, things like you're on your way to Alaska and you're traveling through Canada and an emergency happens and you have to go to the hospital and the nearest hospitals in Canada, maybe Medicare is going to cover something there. But for the most part, it's not going to cover expat living. And so that's where people are usually making a decision. Is it worth it to pay the $148.50? And what happens if I don't enroll in that? So I always recommend that anyone moving abroad, if they have, unless they're absolutely certain they're never going to come back to the U.S., you should enroll in both parts A and B. Because if you were to get sick in another country and you do move home to seek treatment in the United States, you can't just enroll in Part B at any time. You have to wait for the next general enrollment period. So you wouldn't want to be facing something like a cancer diagnosis and move back here in June and you can't even get enrolled in that coverage until January and then the coverage doesn't start until July. So having Part A and B means that you will have the coverage in the event that you need it. And also that Part B coverage, you have to understand it's $148.50 a month, but if you come back to the United States and it's in place and you don't have a delay in accessing it, that could be a life and death situation considering the things that are covered by Part B. So although we think of outpatient coverage as lab work and routine care and preventive care and those things, I also mentioned things like cancer care and um, radiation dialysis, all those things can fall under Part B and they're very expensive. In addition to that, there's a penalty for not enrolling in Part B when you're first eligible. So if you don't sign up in that seven month window and you don't have other creditable coverage, which usually means you're still actively working for an employer that has more than 20 employees. If you don't have that other credible coverage, then when you finally do enroll, let's say it's at 70, you're going to pay a 10% penalty cumulative for every 12 months that you didn't enroll. And so now you come back to the US at 70 and you've got this 148.50 plus a 50% increase. And it's not a one-time penalty, that's your monthly penalty that you pay for the rest of your life. So usually enrolling in part A and B is a good thing for expats. And we usually can see, get people to see that that's probably worth the investment to have that in place. And then when they move back, then they could decide to tackle whether or not they want to enroll in supplemental coverage to help with those deductibles and the other 20%. There's some 
pre-existing condition limitations there, which we can get into. But that would be my first bit of advice and probably the most common questions for expats is, should I go ahead and sign up for Part B because it's going to cost me money? And usually we recommend that, yes, you do, unless you're absolutely certain that you're not going to return here. Okay, that all makes sense. So I'm Canadian. I'm from Ontario. We have OHIP in Canada. Now, I've been gone for the better part of 21 years. I, if I were to go back to Canada and I decided I wanted to be a resident again, there would be this gap period where I would not be covered in insurance. With the U.S. side and what we're talking about today, is there any of that gap? Or if someone got sick and they had signed up for Part A, Part B, and came in from Costa Rica on Tuesday, on Wednesday, are they able to claim any of these benefits? Yes. So those benefits are in place. And when you have original part A and B, there's no network. So you can see any Medicare contracted provider in the nation, which is over 1 million providers. So if you were coming back, all it would be a matter of is calling the doctor's office to say, do you take Medicare? And you go in with your Medicare card. Fortunately, in the U.S., over 93% of physicians do accept Medicare. Hospitals accept Medicare. And so there would not be a gap period unless you didn't enroll in Part B. Then remember, I mentioned that there's that delay. You have to wait for the general enrollment period. So that's a really good point because that's a good reason why you may not want to wait in enrolling in those and go ahead and have them in place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that makes sense. So let's continue our hypothetical type of scenario, and we can continue to use Costa Rica because I think it is a very popular place. But with most expats, do you find that they will go overseas, they'll have some type of either local coverage in their host country or some type of international insurance, and then keep Medicare in, in the background in the States if they need it? Do they have kind of two, or is it just usually one or the other? We usually see that they are also enrolling in something locally that are going to give them benefits for just your ongoing outpatient type of stuff, you know, cold and flu, or you've, let's say you have diabetes and you're going to need to have a doctor that's prescribing you insulin. So usually they do have something local and then they have A and B. What we see people who have a health condition ask about, let's say you are someone with diabetes and now you, you understand about enrolling in part A and B and you're going to do that but you really don't wanna pay for supplemental coverage on top of Part B because you're planning on using this coverage that you have in Costa Rica that's gonna help you locally and you're not gonna be using your Part B benefits for a long time. So if you don't enroll in a Medicare supplement when you're first eligible, there's a six month window starting with your Part B effective date to sign up for a Medigap plan with no health questions asked. Later, when you come back, you may want to add that Medigap plan because now you're treating in the States and it's only covering 80% of your expenses and you're paying 20% on top of that. To get a Medigap plan then when that window of time has expired, your open enrollment period, uh, will require answering health questions and they might turn you down for something like insulin-dependent diabetes if you have 50 units or more a day, uh, other chronic conditions, or you've come back because you are having a major health event like cancer and you need to treat for it, you may not be able to get a Medigap plan. That's where the Medicare Advantage plans come in as a great secondary option. And so what we see the expat people do sometimes is they just don't get the Medigap plan. They go ahead and enroll in part A and B, but they know going forward, if they do decide to come back to the United States, that they can sign up for a Medicare Advantage plan with no health questions asked. It just means they're gonna need to treat in an area where they have a network of doctors to choose from 
usually that's not a problem for people, and they have to do it during a valid election period in most cases. So sometimes we see people that are expats and they're coming back to the US and they have an intention to sign up for Medicare Advantage, and they know that the annual election period to get those with no problems is in the fall. So they will plan a, like a late summer uh, move back to the United States, and then they can pick up that coverage that's gonna help them with the things that Medicare doesn't cover, like the other 20%, the deductibles and coinsurance. So that's really more where we see the, the questions come in in terms of not necessarily the gap, but what type of supplemental coverage do I wanna get thinking, considering all the costs, and when I come back, what am I going to be able to get? So they do need to make that decision, whether they want to pick up the supplemental coverage, which is a little more comprehensive, but then you're paying maybe another 100 or $200 a month for that, and you're not even in the U.S. to use it. So it's good for us today that we have the Medicare Advantage options, where we see people a lot of times will return to the states and enroll in one of those. But why is it at certain times of the year that it is more advantageous to sign up? Because I don't really understand this piece of the puzzle here. Yeah, election periods are a Medicare anomaly and they really throw people for a loop. And what I can tell you is that for the Medicare Advantage plans where you're using a network to get your Medicare benefits and for the Part D drug plans where you're using a network of pharmacies, there are no health questions to get that coverage. So what would happen if everyone could get that coverage at any time they would all wait until they got sick and then just sign up right then. So what the government does is limit them to certain times of the year to sign up because you certainly don't want to get really sick in February with a major health event and now you can't get into an Advantage plan until the fall. There are some exceptions to that. So if you move into a city and they have what's called a five-star Medicare Advantage plan, which means that plan has gotten excellent ratings for three years or more from its members in 35 different categories, those you can sign up for year round. So I've had that situation where people have been moving back and they wanted to come and it wasn't during the annual election period. Then we look at what city are you moving into? Do we have any five-star plans that we can elect in the middle of the year? So those election periods are really built in to make sure that the insurance companies don't go belly up because everybody waits until the attic is on fire to buy the homeowner's insurance. And that's kind of a good analogy. Okay, so is it based on districts or states or cities on this election period, or is it nationwide? And these are published, so you, you know that from this month to this month, every single year it's always the same. Yeah, so nationwide on a federal level, the annual election period for Medicare Advantage and Part D plans is in the fall from October 15th to December 7th every year. Okay. The plans that you're eligible to sign up for, though, will be dependent on where you live. So you might have a plan offered by Blue Cross in Michigan and a plan offered by Blue Cross in Texas, and those plans are completely different, different copays, different premiums, different networks, different everything. So somebody in Texas wouldn't be eligible for that Michigan plan. So you want to move back somewhere where you've got a good plan selection. All major cities in the United States have dozens of Medicare Advantage plans to choose from. If you're moving somewhere like Alaska or Wyoming, where we have less populated, which means it's harder to build networks, you may not have many options for Medicare Advantage plans there. Or if you live in a rural area, like out in rural Texas, where you're not close to a city, there may be some regional plans that you can enroll in, but you might have fewer choices. So everyone's going to have the same election period, but the plans that you're eligible for are going to be dependent on the county in which you live. Okay, that makes sense. So going back to our example from before, if you have an expat, they're living in Costa Rica, they have 
horrendous as it sounds, they have cancer or something like this. They go back to the United States to get treatment. Is there anything else that they need to know? Say the treatment goes well, everything is happy and healthy. Is there any other type of requirements when they want to continue their expat journey? Anything that they need to be aware of? Or is it is your responsibilities and obligations to the state kind of concluded at that point? Well, you would have the option if you were coming back and you had a and you enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan for treatment. These are plans with networks and they're going to have things like prior authorizations. So you would need to get established with the doctor. There could be some delays as they get everything set up. You want to be aware of that time crunch when you're coming in. And then in terms of leaving, if you have finished, done, now you're moving back to Costa Rica or wherever, you're moving out of the county. And so you would lose the Medicare Advantage plan, which wouldn't be a problem because you're going to go back to treating whatever you have down in Costa Rica. And then if you come back to the States again in the future, you're just going to go through that same process of choosing what to enroll in. Now, sometimes we will have wealthy expats and they'll sign up for original Medicare, a full comprehensive Medicare supplement, which is the other type of coverage. And that might cost them an extra $100 or $200 a month. But they know that when they come back, they can see any doctor anywhere in the United States. The plan doesn't matter which insurance company from it's going to pay. And they like that safety, the safety of just, I'm going to enroll in this now. I'm not going to use it. But when I come back, I'm not going to have to worry about uh, networks where I live. I'm not going to have to worry about enrollment periods because I've already got my plans in place. But I'm paying a lot more for that peace of mind. And so a lot of this, of course, will have to do with budget as well. Okay, that makes sense. Because a lot of my research in insurance more focuses on just the international insurance. I don't normally have anything to do with the domestic insurance. So I have a company that I work with. And if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, that'll redirect you guys to a really excellent international health insurance plan that I always recommend for expats. But from the domestic side, it's kind of interesting to see the the different levels of coverage and how you can actually make things so you have a bit of redundancy in place, I guess is, is perhaps a good word for it. Now, I, I bring this all up because I, I have some questions. Is there any problems for having multiple different types of insurance, having Medicare, having international insurance, maybe also having a local insurance? Are there any problems with stacking these types of health insurance? I haven't seen that because usually you're not even using the Medicare stuff while you're out of state and you have an address in the U.S., right, where there's an, an, a U.S. address that's linked to your social security account. And so uh, as long as you're doing the online bill pay thing, you can make sure that everything is set up okay. And Medicare doesn't care if you have another plan out here that you're using, where you could run into some issues if, if you try to coordinate the two while you're in the states. Um, Medicare is going to be primary where, and then a Medicare supplement is gonna pay secondary. And that third coverage, you wouldn't even really need that in that scenario. But if you have Medicare Advantage coverage, that Advantage coverage is primary. You're no longer actively enrolled in Medicare A and B in the sense that you can use any Medicare doctor. You've now committed to using this local network. Sometimes when you have two different insurances and you give them both cards, you see the carriers compete and nobody wants to pay. They want the other one to pay. So I would tell people, look at your benefits, review what 
procedures you need to have done, choose to present the one card that's going to give you the best bang for your buck on that. And I would think in a lot of times, if you're in the U.S., that Medicare Advantage coverage may be the one that's stronger. And then you use the alternate coverage that you have when you're down there. Uh, interestingly enough, Mikhail, my husband is Canadian and he is still working in Alberta. So I have him on my health insurance here in the U.S., but we have to have coverage for him while he's up there because, of course, now he's no longer a resident in Canada. And so he doesn't have the Alberta health care. And we have an international plan for him. And he only uses it when he's in Canada. So if he gets sick, he can go for local coverage. And then when he's back here in the U.S., we use the other coverage. It costs us more, but we have a special situation. And so that's kind of a good way of thinking of how you might use it in the expat situation, too. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, sometimes in the expat world, you have to try to balance things and juggle things a little bit. It is a little bit more to figure out. But I think in the expat world, there's just so many advantages for exploring the world and living overseas and learning new languages and cultures. And for me, it's always been very, very worthwhile. But I really appreciate getting an expert like you to kind of fill in some of these gaps, which is not often talked about, I think, in our industry. But let's paint a bit of a picture. So let's say that someone is not yet in Costa Rica. They are about to retire. Now, explain your business and your piece in this, how you help fit everything together in the planning stages, at the very beginning stages of someone wanting to take this journey. Sure. So I mentioned earlier that it's really important for people to understand their original Medicare benefits and how they work before we look at the slick mailers and what we're going to add on to that. And so... Um, somebody approaching uh, 65 who's going to have to make some Medicare decisions, we have some great resources for you there. Our website, boomerbenefits.com, has all the reading you could ever want to know about the basics of Medicare. You can sign up for a six-day email mini course where you get one email a day with a video from me explaining each of the pieces so that by the end of the week, you've got a pretty good working understanding of parts A, B, D, and those supplemental options. You can sign up for a webinar from our website where we do Medicare 101 and doing uh, one this afternoon. We do multiple of them a week. Another great resource is the Medicare.gov web website. Um, anything that you type in there, you're going to find an answer to. And that's a great place to go for all of the current costs with Medicare. So if you're looking at maybe you are in that higher income bracket and you're worried that you're going to have to pay more for Part B, you can find the latest and greatest information there. YouTube is a great uh, resource as well for Medicare questions. We have a channel with lots of great explanatory videos. So those are some of the resources. And so when you're coming into 65, what an agency like Boomer Benefits does is we educate you all about the Medicare part with all the online information and resources that we have. And then you might be facing a decision whether, okay, am I going to do the Medicare supplement? now um, and how would that work for me and what's the, the least expensive option that I could sign up for that would give me the coverage. There are some high deductible options uh, with Medigap plans, making those quite inexpensive. And so we have seen some expat people go ahead and sign up for a Medicare supplement with a high deductible plan G. My dad has a plan like this. He pays like $50 a month for it. It's cheaper than ordinary coverage. He's a Vietnam era vet and he uses the VA for a lot of things, but we have that coverage as kind of a backup, that's where a broker like uh, us would be able to say, well, here's an option that you could consider. 
if they decide to go with just the part A and B, then we can be that person. They've established their relationship with us. And when the time comes that they are moving back to the U.S., they've got someone to call to say, hey, I talked to you a couple of years ago. You helped me understand my Medicare. Now I'm moving back to the United States and I'm going to need to go ahead and pick up one of those uh, Medicare Advantage or Medicare supplements. Can you run me some quotes? Remind me how this coverage works. Let me get everything set up. So we can help people with some of those initial decisions and determining what they're going to enroll or if they're going to be, maybe they're not moving for a year or two and they need some coverage in the interim, we can set them up with that. And then when the time comes that they relocate overseas, we can tell them exactly what to do to cancel the coverages, what they need to keep and what they can do without while they're gone. Okay, that makes sense. So, so far, we focused a lot on what the programs are and for the expats, but I want to get into a little bit on any changes that you think might happen? I mean, the whole world has changed in the last, what, year and a half or so. We've had a change in administration. We've had changes with COVIDs and lockdowns. I'm just curious, going forwards, do you see any big differences or things that people should be aware of going forwards? Yeah, so probably the biggest one that would really affect the expat community is that the Democrat platform Joe Biden has, in his overall plan, has a plan for Medicare at 60. We have also regularly seen proposals for Medicare at 55 or even as early as 50. And where this would be really helpful is for someone under 65 right now, they're going to go to the healthcare.gov website. They're going to sign up for an individual plan, and they may pay a lot for that plan if they have a decent income and they don't qualify for a subsidy. That coverage can be really expensive, especially in the 60 to 64 window. We meet a lot of people who retire early, and they just go without any coverage from 60 to 65 because it's so expensive, and they just try to be careful, and that's never a good idea. So if we were to have the administration push through Medicare at 60, you would have the opportunity to enroll in some pretty affordable, good coverage while you're making your plans to relocate. And, and so the lower that age is, and I really do think this will be something that they'll push for probably within these first two years. It may not be something that rolls out in the first budget, the administration and the rest of Congress work together to create, but it's been proposed repeatedly by the Democrats. And so I think we'll see um, a push for that here in the next few years. And it would be very beneficial in that situation if somebody wanted to retire earlier than 65. Wow, if you could get Medicare for 148.50 a month instead of an $800 a month ACA plan, you would be in a better position. Well, I do, I do think that is interesting because as you said, if you're living overseas, I have lots of people who are early retirees. And I mean, I have lots of people who are much earlier than 60 retiring. When you look at the cost of living overseas, which can be maybe a half to a quarter, when you look at the taxes that you can actually save by living in a foreign country, I mean, there's so many advantages to being an expat that it really does start to change quite a bit. So it's interesting to see how the insurance is going to fit into this puzzle. Yeah. Okay, so Danielle, we've talked a lot from the expat side, but I want to kind of get into just in general terms about Medicare, because I know in your book, you've talked a lot about the mistakes that people make when trying to sign up for these programs. So maybe you can flush out for us a little bit what these mistakes are, and maybe some of the really common ones that people can avoid so they don't get themselves into trouble. 
Sure. And, you know, I think that's what most people are really looking for, right? When when you have to change from employer-provided insurance to national health care and you're not an insurance agent, these lingo and the terms that you mentioned, these can be really confusing and overwhelming. And so some of the tips that I can give people when you're new to Medicare is don't wait until you're 64 and 300 days to start learning about Medicare. You're going to have an enrollment window that starts three months before your 65th birthday, and that initial election period is specific to you. So it's really good when we see people who are doing the research early, maybe starting around 64, no later than 64 and a half. You should be doing some research about Medicare. You want to go online to Medicare.gov and you want to learn everything you can there. You can go to Amazon and you can purchase a book about Medicare. You can purchase even the Medicare and you handbook and have that shipped to you. And you can start understanding the different pieces. We talked about that there's Medicare Part A and the hospital insurance. You wanna know what things there that are covered. Medicare Part B and the outpatient coverage. What's covered and what isn't. Medicare Advantage, how that differs from original Medicare and the Medicare supplement. And then something else we haven't talked about was the Part D drug plans and whether or not people should enroll in those, what type of coverage, what type of penalties there are. Familiarize just all of that so that when it comes time for your enrollment, you are well-educated on what Medicare covers and what it doesn't and which pieces that you're going to need at a minimum, okay? And then you want to educate yourself on the enrollment periods. So we talked about the initial enrollment period of the seven-month signing up for Medicare itself. Something I can share with your audience is you only do that once. You don't have to sign up for Medicare itself again. All of the other election periods are related to, to different things, supplemental type things, but you want to be familiar with them so that you don't stumble into something and make a mistake. So the, the second one is the annual election period that we talked about in the fall from October 15th to December 7th. This is when you can sign up for a Medicare Advantage plan or a Part D drug plan and you can make changes. There are also other ones. So for instance, there's an election period that runs from January 1st to March 31st, where if you're enrolled in an Advantage plan and you don't like it, you can make a one-time change to a different Advantage plan or back to original Medicare. I think it's so important for people to just have a general reading, some sort of resource to know what those election periods are and how they might pertain to them so that they don't stumble into some sort of penalty. We talked about that there's penalties for Part B if you don't sign up on time. The other one is this was the 10% if they don't sign up in that first year and then it's going to go retroactively backwards for yeah adding the 10% for every additional for every month. Late so in year. your example there was yeah. Five, yeah for every late yeah wow so just imagine 10% per year we had a gentleman that called our office last year and he was 72 and he had been on small group insurance and he thought the whole time that that meant he didn't have to sign up for Medicare well that that would have been credible coverage if he had worked for a large employer but he worked for a small employer. And so when he went to sign up for Medicare, 70% penalty right off the bat that he's going to pay for the rest of his life on. And that Part B premium, it tends to increase a little bit each year. So that percentage can grow. And he was just devastated. He never questioned it. He never did any of that initial learning and digging in just to understand some of the ins and outs. And listen, I get it. Medicare is not a really exciting topic to go and learn about. 
Um, so choose your poison. You can read a book. You can go online to YouTube that I mentioned. Lots of great videos there. You can visit our website. You can visit Medicare's website. Uh, fortunately, we live in an age where that information is available to us at our fingertips. And so choose whatever mode that you learn and best, whether it's reading or audio visual, and start educating yourself a little bit ahead of time. Talk to your friends. What kind of coverage do they have? When we meet someone that is 64 and a half and they've spent six months kind of learning this stuff, they're so much less stressed because they're not trying to make this last minute decision and try to get their brains around a program as big and confusing as Medicare. And really, once you have your the parts in place that you need, there's 10 different Medicare supplements. Each of them all cover a different package of things. So you can buy one that's really comprehensive. You can buy one that's a high deductible and pretty inexpensive, or you can buy one in the middle. And you're not even going to understand the differences and what those cover if you first don't know what kind of coverage Medicare provides for skilled nursing care. And along those lines, another thing that's so important for people to know is the things that Medicare doesn't cover. So one of those things is long-term care. And I would imagine that somebody that's an expat, at some point in the future, when they reach a point where they can't live on their own anymore. Maybe they're going to do their assisted living in the country they live. Maybe they're coming back to the U.S., but lots of them think that Medicare covers that. I have had some of the saddest phone calls that I've received in my career have been the children of an adult child of someone that's 80-something who now needs assisted living, who never made a plan for that, and now they need assisted living and Medicare doesn't cover that. And these adult children are like, what are we supposed to do? Like they didn't buy long-term care insurance. We didn't know that Medicare doesn't pay for that. So Medicare pays for your medical care, no matter where you live, in your own home or an assisted living or nursing home, anything like that. But, but it doesn't pay for the rent in an assisted living center, which can be six, seven, eight, ten thousand $10,000 a month, depending on where you're going to live. So then these people are in a situation of having to spend all of their assets down to qualify for Medicaid, and then they are going to be assigned some hospital bid somewhere in their state that they share with a, another person. And that's never a situation that you want to go into blindly. So you need to have a plan. Anyone age 50 plus, in my opinion, should have something in place. What is your plan for the time how are you going to afford when you can't live on your own anymore? Do you have um, family that's going to take care of you? Do they know that you plan for them to take care of you? Um, do you have a long-term care insurance policy? Does it have an inflation rider to cover what, you know, inflation between now and then? The other things that Medicare doesn't cover are dental, vision, and hearing expenses. So if you don't have that provided like you used to get it through your employer, and now you know Medicare doesn't cover that, you want to have something in place for that. Where are you going to get your dental care and where are you going to get your vision care? And uh, hearing aids are very expensive. Medicare doesn't cover those things. And so another plan you need to have is for those things that Medicare doesn't cover. So if that's an add-on with the Medicare that you can get under the other things, or this is a external insurance that people have to go out there and start researching completely from scratch? If you have original Medicare and a Medicare supplement or Medigap plan, there's the coverage for routine dental vision and hearing isn't in there at all. And you would purchase a standalone coverage. Agencies like ours offer them because we have Medicare clients that need them all the time. So you can speak with an insurance broker and we can show you different dental insurance that you would have separate to Medicare. Some of the Medicare Advantage plans, which are the ones with networks, they can include some ancillary benefits. So you might find a plan that has preventive dental or maybe it covers eyeglasses for a $100 copay. Uh, might pay for a vision exam. 
The Advantage plans will include some ancillary benefits for those. It's not very rich benefits, though, because it's kind of thrown in there for free. And so it may be dental coverage that does fine for preventive, but doesn't cover the root canal. And so you want to look at that carefully. And also those Advantage plans are going to require you to come back to the States to use that care. And Advantage plans, another thing I haven't mentioned yet is Medicare Advantage plans and Part D drug plans, they change their benefits every year. Because Medicare changes the annual deductibles for Part A, B, and D. And so the Advantage plans then have to shift what they have going on to make the finances work based on the new Medicare um, deductibles. And they can have changes to their premiums, their benefits, their co-pays, their drug tiers, their drug formulary. You might have a, a $400 medication that's covered on your Advantage plan this year, but then next year they're dropping it. Well, you need to know how to to learn what's changing from year to year. These carriers have annual notice of change that they send out. You wanna know what that process is. We have a couple of videos about that on YouTube. And so it kind of all circles back to just the knowledge. This is not a topic that you wanna set aside or learn very little about. You really wanna get involved in understanding what's provided and what isn't so that you can then make those choices. Okay, okay. So any other big misconceptions or misunderstandings or mistakes that you see that people make that maybe we should include today and make them aware of? So at least that they can kind of put that in the forefront of their mind when they go out there and start doing all this additional research? Yeah, so we've covered that Medicare isn't free. And we also know that Medicare doesn't cover everything. Sometimes that's surprising to people because they may think it's a national health insurance program. Isn't it like what Canada or Britain has where I don't have a copay or I don't have a deductible and Medicare has all of those things. So that's something that people get surprised about. They're surprised that it's not going to pay for 100% and that they're going to have to cover that. So those are probably the two biggest routine mistakes that we see people coming into. But other things might be the Part D outpatient drug coverage, if you don't have a plan for medications where you live, if you don't sign up for that during your first seven months, uh, your during your initial enrollment period, and you don't have other credible drug coverage, later when you sign up, there's going to be a penalty there as well. So there's a decision that people have to make about maybe they don't take any medications or they take two generic medications and they don't want to spend $15 a month on a drug plan because they think they don't need it. Well, the longer that they wait to enroll in that, the bigger the penalty grows on that, just like Part B has a penalty. Part D has a penalty, 1% per month for every month that you weren't enrolled that you should have been. And so you could wait five years and end up with a pretty significant penalty that you're going to have cumulative and that will follow you for the rest of your life. And also, you can't just sign up for Part D at any time of year. You have to wait for that election period to get that. So if you get sick at the wrong time and you don't have the coverage, these are all decisions that people have to make. And fortunately, there are some Part D plans that are really inexpensive, and we just recommend that people sign up for the cheapest one in their state so that they have some coverage in case they need it. Using my dad as an example, again, he can get his medicines through the VA, but I had heard when my grandfather was treating that sometimes some of the medicines he needed, the VA didn't cover. So the doctor had to maybe prescribe something else that wasn't quite as good. So I signed my dad up for a Part D drug plan 
Sure enough, he had two medicines, brand name medicines that got prescribed to him a year or two later, very necessary medicines. The VA didn't cover either of them, but we had purchased him that drug plan. And yes, we'd been paying the premium on it for a couple of years, but now he had medicines that would have cost him uh, $750 roughly for the two of them per month. And he was able to get them for a $41 copay on the drug plan that we put in place. And so, you know, that's another decision people have to make is if they're ever going to come back and enroll in a drug plan, knowing that they're a penalty. Do they want to sign up for an inexpensive drug plan once a year and have it in place? Or do they want to just know that penalty is going to be there when they come back? Okay. So I guess to kind of wrap up and try to make things as very simple as possible, somewhere around that 64 years age, you recommend that people start educating themselves either on YouTube or pick up a book on Amazon or hopefully your book on Amazon and start reading this. Then reach out to possibly your firm to kind of get a little bit of guidance. And once they've done this education for the four months, six months leading up to this conversation, they should be in a much better position to kind of understand things. And then with just a little bit of guidance, be able to choose the correct pan that is going to be right for them. Now, when they become expats, there's really not a big difference here. You can come back to the United States and you still receive all these benefits. So it is very different than what I'm used to in Canada or you mentioned in Great Britain. These types of plans are more socialized medicine where they cover everybody, but you need to be a resident there. Then on top of that, people might want to be looking at some type of international insurance or local insurance. I mentioned earlier that if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, that'll take you to an international health insurance plan. Am I missing anything in kind of the the recap or the breakdown of what people should know going forwards? I think that you actually did a really good job there. That's a, a pretty big, <laughs> pretty big stuff <laughs> to get your brain around. But yeah, that's pretty much right. And you know, a lot of people they may not even need to call a broker like us. They may read this and understand it fine, and they're like, you know, I think I've got this straight, and that's totally great. Just do some reading and get the research done so that you're prepared. And then, yeah, you've got to figure out your coverages that you're going to have wherever you live as well. And I'm certainly not the expert on that, but I know that you have a lot you could share with people about that. And it's important for them to follow podcasts like yours and be educated about those things as they change as well. Amazing. Danielle, thank you so much for the conversation. I really, really appreciate your time and trying to make a very complex subject actually a little bit more understandable and manageable. So I really appreciate that. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to pick up your book, where can we send them? Sure. One good resource for your listeners might be our Facebook page. So we are Boomer Benefits on Facebook. And from that page, you can join our free private Facebook group for people who are on Medicare or soon to be on Medicare. And so that could be a place that even when you're overseas and you have a question related to Medicare, you can pop it into the group and my team and I answer them seven days a week. So that would be a great resource. And of course, you can find us online at Boomer Benefits. My book is 10 Costly Medicare Mistakes You Can't Afford to Make, and that's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Perfect. Thank you so much, Danielle, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels.
I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.